Hey, let's pray together. You want to stand with me or not? I'm going down, but you can stand, whatever you're comfortable with. Father God, this, this is your place. It's your, it's your church. And it's our privilege to be a part of this piece of it, where the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Uh, Lord, I know you're teaching us all kinds of things through this. We're looking at your wonder. One of the pieces of the puzzle I'm sure you're working on, the big one, is teach us to get our finances together. Can't do anything for you until we get that fixed. But Lord, in all of this stuff, you're the king, you're the master, and we trust you. And it's one day at a time where we give glory to you until you come to get us, which might be today, good stuff. We love you in the meantime with everything that we have. We dedicate this place and our lives to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thanks. You can be seated. <clears throat> now, if you were not here last Sunday, you need to get a copy of that sermon because Mark Huddleston preached last week, and I'm not just saying this. The kid knocked it out of the park. I mean, it was amazing. The, the way I talked to Eric about this, the way these young kids are coming out of college today and preaching, it's just blowing my mind. But anyway, the title of his sermon last week was, Where is God? And the premise of his sermon was, we should be seeing God everywhere every day. And it, the mark of a good sermon is when you think about it when you leave church. And I thought about it all week. In fact, I wanted to talk a little more about it today in terms of what happens when you're not looking for God every day, when you start to lose your focus, your motivation, because things get pretty dark pretty quick. And I wanted to start with an Old Testament scripture from the book of Haggai in a time in Israel when they started to lose their focus a little bit. Let me just read this to you. It's Haggai chapter 1 verse 5 and 6. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You go on vacation, but it's never enough. You remodel and get a new house, but you want a bigger one. You get a new car, and then you got to have a new truck. You get a little bit of money, you got to have more money. You know how this goes, on and on. My point is, what, what's the Scripture mean? <laughs> I think we know. Because I think we've all been there. These folks have gone from a time of exciting, deep, personal relationship with God to a time in their life where they're exhausted and empty. they got plenty to eat, but they never get enough. Plenty to drink, it never quenches. They harvest, and they never get anything out of it. I mean, they plant, never get any harvest out of it. Everything droughts up. Their retirement plans are going chaos. These people have gotten to a place where they have been driven on their knees. They have everything, and yet they don't have anything. I mean, does this sound familiar? See, the big question is, how in the world do you get to this place? How in the world? How does somebody go from a deep, unbelievable, rich personal relationship to God to this? How does that happen? And the next question is, has it happened to any of us? Is it happening right now? Are we in it as a people, as a church, as a country? And if we are, how do we get out of it? I'm going to do it. I'm going to share my heart with you. Now, when I open my heart up to you all, sometimes it makes you happy. Sometimes it makes you sad. Sometimes it makes you mad. I don't want to do any of that this morning. I just want to share my heart with you, okay? I meet every Thursday with John Robertson, who is the minister at Sherwood Oaks West, about three miles from here. 
I meet with Byron Williams, who's the minister at Ellisville Christian Church, been a lifelong friend, him and John both. And I meet with Tom Cooperider, who's the new minister at Salisbury Christian Church. We meet every Thursday together. We pray and do preacher talk. It's life-giving. And we have been lamenting the last few weeks about something that's really, that's been hurt. And that is church attendance. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's down countywide, nationwide. Numbers are down in churches everywhere. Giving is down in churches everywhere. And we all know why. We talked about it. I mean, I'm just sharing my heart with you. You got camping, you got fishing, you got basketball tournaments, wrestling tournaments, you got softball tournaments and volleyball tournaments, you got basketball camps and football camps. You've got everything under the sun to do besides church on Sunday, and it's moved it way down the list. And I'm just telling you, as your friend, that's a plant from the evil one. It's not an accident. He's been attacking the family for two decades in a big way. And the best way to break up a family is to keep them out of church. Now, I'm going to tell you, as a preacher, I'm trying not to take this personally, to see numbers go down, but it's hard. But I'm going to tell you who does take it personally, and that's your Father in heaven who commands that we don't forsake the assembling ourselves on Sunday morning because in the end times we're going to need this and we're in the end times. Now listen to me. I'm not talking to the people who have jobs that can't get them here. I've been there. I know that one. I'm not talking to the people who are sick and do their best to get here when they feel good. But the national average right now for a person who goes to church on a regular basis is two out of five weeks. Two out of five weeks. The last time that I saw a spike in attendance in the church was 9-11 attack. Some of you are so young you don't remember that. But when we got attacked at 9-11, you couldn't find a seat in this church for a month. Was that a coincidence? I don't know. I don't think we want to push him again. Okay, so that's what I've been praying about, thinking about, stewing about. There's my heart. Soapbox is over. Somebody sent me an email uh, several years ago, and I don't know if I shared this with you then or not. I really don't. I'm going to share it with you this morning. I can't really believe I'm going to do this. If I get the moans and groans that I expect, I'm going to rat out the person that sent it to me. If I don't, I'll just take credit for it. But it's called uh, A Dog Named Mace, and it's about a mechanic who had this dog by the name of Mace that he couldn't let out in the backyard because he ate grass. You guys have a dog that eats grass? He'd eat great big patches of grass. He was killing the yard. So they had to lock him up. It made him sick, too. Well, one night this mechanic was out in his backyard working on a car, and he dropped his wrench in the tall grass. He couldn't find it, and he looked. It was getting dark, and he finally just gave up and went in the house for the night. The dog got out that night, started chomping grass in the backyard, and when the guy got up and went out the next morning, the sun was shining on his wrench. It was glistening in the spot where the dog had been eaten. He knew what had happened, so he looked towards heaven and proclaimed, Are you ready for this? A grazing mace, how sweet the hound. That saved a wrench for me. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> Come on now, you guys know how this really goes. Would you say it with me, please? Amazing grace. Come on. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace is amazing, man. It is. Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift from God, not by works that anybody could boast. Grace is one of those things. You know, there's some things in life that when you say it, you have to say after it, there's nothing like it. You know, we've talked about this before. For example, hot Krispy Kreme donuts. 
You know, there's nothing like that. Now, I'm not talking about a Krispy Kreme donut at a gas station or some nonsense like that. I'm talking about a hot Krispy Kreme donut. Oh, my goodness, nothing like it. Angie and I just had a half a dozen of those two weeks ago. We drove by, the light was on, we went in there. You don't even have to put them in your mouth when they're hot. You get them close, they get in there somehow. It's, it's amazing. Any coconut glazed donut from the donut hole in Destin, Florida, nothing like it. Any donut at all from Lamar's Donuts in Phoenix, Arizona. Are you seeing a pattern here? Nothing like it. Mackinac fudge. You brought me some the last time I mentioned it. Nothing like it, you know. Uh, any kind of ice cream from the Love Shack in Fort Myers, Florida. Nothing like it. Any snack at all from Magic Kingdom in Disney World, Florida. Nothing like it. Now, Grace is like that times a zillion. There's nothing like it, folks. I mean, listen to me. I've done, great, I've done life with Grace, and I've done life without Grace. I want Grace, and lots of it. I've had life done to me with Grace. And I've had lunch done to me without grace. I want grace. Without grace, bad things happen. Without grace, people get hurt. Without grace, there's no life at all. And when you think about it, this is the only place you can find grace. You're not going to get it in the world. In the world, it's dog eat dog. In the world, it's reap what you sow. In the world, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But in the kingdom of God, in this place, it is unmerited grace. And it is amazing. Now, last week, Mark talked about looking for God every day. And I'd like to add this morning that you're looking for the grace of God every day, especially in the days we're living in. And here's what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning. I want to look at Israel's cycle. How many times have you heard about Israel's cycle where they would come to God and do real good and then things would start to drift and they would get affluent and have everything they needed to get away from God and then they'd start to sin and then he'd smack them down and then they'd come back and then they'd drift again, that pattern over and over again. I'd like for you to prayerfully consider because we like to do that every week. We want to look at the Word and see where we're at in it, where you're at in this cycle. And when we come to the table this morning, make some adjustments. Okay, let's do that together. Here's, here's the first part of the cycle, exile. Exile. This is, uh, this is a time in Israel's history where uh, they were just blatantly walking away from God. I mean, politically, they were uh, polarized. Their moral system had gone down the tubes. They were doing everything but godly stuff. It was in the government. It was in the church. It was in our, They were a mess, okay? They were a mess. And so... Once again, God dropped the anvil on these people, and for the next several years, they found themselves in exile. That's a nasty place to be. I always love the story. A little four-year-old girl took her two-year-old brother into the backyard to play with him a little bit, and she accidentally wandered into the neighbor's backyard, and this lady loved kids. And so when she saw him coming, she said, oh, look, it's Mrs. Wilson. And she brought her husband with her. She pointed a little two-year-old brother. She said, come and have tea. And so they sat down and had a little tea party in the backyard. I just love doing that with the grandkids. And after a little while, she said, Mrs. Wilson, would you like another cup of tea and perhaps a cookie? And Mrs. Wilson said, oh, no, I'm afraid we must go home. It appears my husband has messed his pants. <laughs> I, I understand Linda Williams has actually had to use that excuse at a dinner party, Melvin, a couple times. But anyway, my, my point is uh, most people like to be at home. And the very definition of the word exile is meaning to be forced away from home. Now, exile, understands not just some distant historical event that happened to Israel time and time again. Exile is something that all of God's people experience in every generation. And you and I are experiencing it right now, in a sense, because we're living here and our real home is in heaven. Don't you wonder and long to go home sometimes? 
My mommy talks about it all the time. Now, my mom loves life, and she's living it, okay? She loves her family. She loves her friends. She loves this church. She talks about it all the time. But she talks about going home all the time. And why not? Jesus is there. My dad's there. Her mommy's there. Do you ever feel that way? Can't wait to go home? I think about that all the time. This is where Israel is in this part of the cycle. They cannot wait to go home, home. They're in Babylon, 900 miles away. And finally, they get the news. This takes us to the second part of the cycle. They get to go home. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 reads, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, in other words, make no mistake about it, this all happened because of God. The king, king of Persia made a proclamation throughout the whole realm, to, and he put it in writing, and this is what he said, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kings of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and Judah. This is an, a fascinating story, by the way. And if you've not read it for a while, you really need to go back in the Old Testament and read some of these stories. They, they were given 83 acres and, and told they could build a building on it. Okay, that's another story. But it's that huge. Not only is the king going to let them build, he's going he's to build it for them. This is an amazing thing. Now, the question becomes, why would God allow these ding-dong heads to come home and build a new temple after the way they'd been living? I don't know. Maybe the same reason he's allowing all us ding-dong heads spend eternity in his temple in heaven the way we've been living. Grace. Unmerited, amazing grace. Here's what we know. God's people are never really at home until God's with them. And this is a time when God is not present on the planet. Jesus hasn't come into flesh yet. It's a time where the Holy Spirit has not been poured out on men yet. And so in order for God's presence to be there, they had to build the temple. And, and get this, that's why God didn't have them build a temple on top of a mountain someplace or out in the middle of the desert someplace. He had them build the temple right smack dab in the middle of downtown Jerusalem. So that every time everybody walked by that temple, they would say to themselves, God wants to be in my neighborhood. He wants to be in my house. He wants to have a relationship with me. So now we go back to what we talked about in the beginning. The people are fired up now. They've been in exile. They get to go home. And now part three comes in. This is the strangest thing. And unfortunately, it's such a common thing. They got in exile, they got forgiven, they got brought back home, and now all of a sudden, they're starting to drift again. And one by one, little by little, the big things of God in their life have become small things again. All of a sudden, they begin to focus less on their attention on the house of God and more and more attention on their own personal projects. And do you know why? Me neither. I got no clue. I don't know how this works. Maybe they got tired of talking about building programs and monies and commitments, and they got tired of the planning commission and, and toting bricks and stuff. I don't know. Maybe they just got tired of it. Maybe they got tired of the criticism that was coming with it, because anytime you do anything for God, especially something big for God, you're going to be criticized. Maybe they got I don't know. Maybe that was it. I think the most likely scenario, the biggest reason they started thinking about their own stuff, their own house, their own money, their own careers, their own jobs, their own families, their own entertainment, their own on and on. Until one day, one by one, they just quit showing up. <laughs> they lost motivation. Now, have you ever had anything similar happen to you like that? 
You know what I'm talking about? You, you decide you're going to do something. You've heard a sermon or a song or a scripture or a devotion, and you've motivated. You're going to do something now for the Lord, man. I, you know, it's January, and I'll tell you what. Starting this right now, this family's going to church every Sunday. The, the Lord says, don't forsake the assembly of your church. And unless we're sick, we got, we're going to church on. Jim Cain cries about it all the time. We're sick of hearing him whining about it. We're going to church every Sunday. And you mean it. But you don't even get through the month of January. You wake up some, money, some morning on Sunday, and we've got a blanket of snow. A full two inches. <laughs> Not enough to keep you from Walmart or the movie or school or work. But somehow... It's just enough to keep you from going to church. It doesn't take much these days to move that priority of coming together on Sunday. Or maybe you've been convicted of what your little eyes have been looking at, and you've decided, you've been motivated, you're going to give God, uh, you're going to guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. You're not going to watch that junk anymore. And you get home Friday night, and what do you know? It's a free movie weekend at DirecTV. Skin a max, Showtime, you got it all. Or somebody's let you coattail with them on Netflix or, or Hulu or Prime, and all of a sudden you got all these movies. Oops. Or you've decided, you know what, it's summertime, and I know the parties are going to start up. I'm not partying this summer. I know that's not what God wants me to do. The very first weekend out of school, somebody's having a big bash at their house. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to give any more excuses, because if you're like me, as soon as I started that, something came to your mind. And my point is, if we're not careful, church, it's so easy for us to get in the same place these folks are in. We lose focus on the only thing in our life that matters. And that's why Jesus was talking so sternly to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. I have this one thing against you. You have moved away from your first love. And he said, you better repent from where you've fallen. What's he talking about? He's talking about the relationship we had with Jesus when we first came on board. You know, when you first got here and you were so excited, you couldn't do enough, and, and somehow the world and all the stuff in it has moved us away from that, Jesus says, I want you back to that. Now, it's the only thing that matters. And look, these people didn't do this on purpose. They didn't quit building this temple on purpose. People don't walk away from Christ. We don't get to a place where we're doing all these other things on purpose. We just drift there. You wake up one day and you think, how did I get here? C.S. Lewis said this one time. This is so profound. He says, if you put first things first, you get the second things thrown in. But if you put second things first, you'll probably lose the first things and the second things. And that is so true. Randy Fries writes, I've seen many drift away from him because they allowed everything else in life, the kids, the job, the transfer, the demand, the stress, the struggle, the entertainment. They've allowed everything else to get in the way of the precious relationship that God offers them. And the time comes when they no longer wake up even thinking about God and his temple. And with the passage of time comes the diminishing of their passion. Tithing becomes tipping. Prayers become rope quotes. And church attendance becomes an obligation. It's not that we forget God, he says. It's just that we locked him in a closet. And that's what happened here. A week passed, a month, a year. Then it was five years and it was ten. And it had been 16 years since they started the temple. 16 years. Weeds growing up where the footers were. Weeds growing up around their faith. 
16 years seems like it goes pretty quick, but I want to tell you this. 16 years was plenty enough time for all the other nations to look and say, these people must not be near as concerned with the things of God as they say they have because look what they're doing. Nothing. 16 years was plenty enough time for their kids to say, my mom and dad must not think of God near like they say they do because look what they're doing. Nothing. Our kids learn real quick what's important and what isn't. They're watching us. And again, they didn't mean to do this. <laughs> it just happened over time. Barry Cameron says, as God's house laid in ruins from all those years of neglect, their own houses were looking pretty good. They had not become notorious sinners. They'd just become self-centered. Here, here's what we've got to remind ourselves. The relationship that you and I have with Jesus Christ is the only thing that matters. Building a new church on 83 acres, I don't care. I don't want you to think, I don't care like this. I don't care. That's not what we're talking about. The gift has been given. The promise has been made. The wonder's going to happen. I don't know when. Might be me. It might be the next fuzzy face preacher. That's going to happen. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your personal, deep, related relationship with Jesus Christ right now. Where is it? Because if it's not where it's supposed to be, he's going to get it there. He's going to do what it takes to bring you back. He will drive you to your knees. I've seen it over and over again. With them, it was drought and futility. To us, it might be a cyber attack or a stock market crash. But he'll bring us home. This is a terrible way to live. Plenty of food, never satisfied. Plenty to drink, never enough. Plenty of money, always want more. Put in a security system, you don't feel secure. Just spinning your wheels. 16 years they've been going around in circles. For 16 years they've been giving the wrong impression to their kids. Oh, we love God, we just don't have time for him. For 16 years they thought they were out of exile, but they were still in it. Man, I love y'all. We've got to find out where we're at in this cycle and get out of it. Because Christ is the only thing that matters, and God says, I will not stay in the closet. And if you're mine, I'm going to change things up. Now, when I got to this place in my notes, uh, two things. First of all, I was wondering about whether I was even going to mention the camping and the fishing and all that stuff because I just talk about it all the time. But I did it. He told me to do it. And second, I noticed probably what you noticed. I've been rambling a little bit this sermon, and I knew it was time to stop. I know there's a fine line between a long-winded sermon and a hostage situation. So I knew it was time to quit, okay? So we're going to quit. We're going to go to the altar. But as we come to the altar this morning, and it's going to be spread out. The, the communion trays are here and in the back. We don't have anything in the front. But we got extra altar space, front row seats, everything. As we come up here today, we got to think this through. I'm asking you where you're at. And all you got to do is look at your checkbook and your calendar. And you'll know quickly where you're at. What's going on? Now, I know the excuse. I, I know it. I've, I've talked it. I've spoken. I'm just too busy. I'm just too, this kid's got me going here and here, and this kid's got me going here, 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 and here, and this kid's got me going all over the place. And you know what? You just slow down. It's just hard. I know it is, but you're the parent. You're in charge. Slow down a little bit. We're just so busy. We're so tired when we get home. We can't. I'd like to study on my own, but I'm too tired. I'd like to pray on my own, but I'm too tired. And besides that, that's why we pay the preacher, right? 
Well, you're only hearing me two out of five times a month, if you're average. Most of you are not in here. Well, that's why we got Christian books. That's why we got blogs. That's why we got TV evangelists, right? Seriously? That's crazy thinking. To get this kind of a vital experience from somebody else. Remember the five wise virgins and the, and the five uh, bridesmaids and, and the five foolish ones? And the foolish ones ran out of oil and they said, give us some oil. And they wouldn't do it. You think that's so selfish. No, you can't share oil with somebody. The oil represents your experience with Jesus. I can't share that with you. You've got to get that on your own. You wouldn't do that with anything else in life that's important, would you? You wouldn't say, well, I know it's vacation season, but you know what? <laughs> Vacations are a hassle. I mean, you've got to make reservations, you've got to pack a suitcase in the car, you've got to load the kids up and drive in it on all the smells and sounds in the back seat. You know what I'm going to do this year? I'm, I'm going to pay somebody else to go on vacation for me this year. I'm going to pay them to take pictures and all that, and when they come home, we'll sit down and have dinner, and they can, no, are you kidding me? I'm going on vacation. I'm going to eat a donut at every city we stop at, you know? You don't miss that. We don't do that with love. Romances, man, such a hassle. You get the butterflies, and, you know, and then you can't eat, and then you, then you get your feelings hurt. And You know what? I'm going to pay somebody else to fall in love for me. Are you crazy? You fall in love with somebody, you're not missing any of that. Not one text, not one phone call, not one kiss. Okay, one more, and we'll take communion. We don't do that with eating. Eating is such a hassle. My jaws get tired. You know how picky I'm anyway. I don't like all those tastes in my mouth. I'm going to hire somebody to chew it for me, and when they're done, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to remind you something you know deeply. You probably, if you're like me, you wrestle with it every day. Growing up in Jesus Christ is a personal experience that has got to take first place or it won't happen. It's got to be number one. And the invitation is for you personally. Not for me to tell you something. God wants you to go on vacation with Him. He wants you to experience His rest. He wants you to taste his, his love in His Word. He wants you to touch His Word. He's inviting you to come today. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The hope is Jesus Christ, the broken body and shed blood of our Lord and Savior. So come up this morning, family. Think this cycle through. If you're drifting or if you're in exile, oh, sinner, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing grace. You can't earn it, but you can have it. You come up this morning and share in the celebration of Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at, come and share with him this morning.